From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms. It's the show all about you and your rights. Kevin Farrell in for Sharita Brent this week, joined today by Richard Gershon, professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest is Kelly Kyle, partner in the law firm Howell, Kyle & Wynn. Uh, we're talking about various aspects of elder law today. We'll talk about advanced directives, whether you need one and how you uh, if you know you're eligible for Medicare or Medicaid, and what are long-term care options. To join our conversation this morning, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 Or you can send us an email. It's legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Back with more after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back. This is Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. In for Sharita Brent today, I'm Kevin Farrell, joined by Richard Gershon, professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Kelly Kyle, a partner in the law firm Kyle Wynn & Associates. We're talking about various aspects of elder law this morning. We'll talk about advanced directives and if you need one. Also, how do you know you're eligible for Medicare or Medicaid? And what are long-term care options? To join our conversation with your question, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 or you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. So good morning, uh, Professor Gershon. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, Kevin. Glad to have you on the show. And uh, excited to have Kelly on the show today. He is... Uh, a well-respected attorney in this field, but also has his own radio show. So I know it's going to be a good show. <laughs> yeah, I was just telling uh, Kevin this morning, this is a big radio morning for me. I've already done my show this morning uh, at 8 on WJNT today. So he's warmed up and ready to go. Uh, so give us a little uh, on your background. Uh, I grew up in North Louisiana. I came here to Mississippi College School of Law. A big shout-out and plug for MC School of Law there. I graduated in 1992. I've been practicing now. It's kind of hard to believe, but it's been nearly 25 years, mm. uh, and I'm licensed in Mississippi and Louisiana. I uh, have had sort of a very general practice for the majority of my career, but uh, about seven years ago, I joined the firm that I'm part of now. Uh, we specialize in elder law and estate planning primarily, and uh, we travel all over the state. We have uh, three offices in Mississippi, Hernando, Ridgeland, and Diamond Head, and we have an office over in North Louisiana in my uh, hometown of Arcadia, Louisiana. All right, very good. Uh, we'll get into elder law in just a minute, uh, but uh, Professor Gershon, uh, legal news in the news, uh, the uh, failure to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Uh, what? Where are we now? What do you think we will do going forward? Well, it's a great question, Kevin, and I think one thing that um, will has happened, I mean, that means that the Affordable Care Act is still the law of the land, mm -hmm. and so it's still effective, and a lot of people were concerned they were going to lose their health care benefits if, if it had been repealed. I think, you know, from a, from a, a lawyer uh, point of view, from a lawmaking point of view, uh, one of the things I think uh, the president learned is that, you know, law, you know passing a law uh, is, uh, takes a lot of work and a lot of effort, and it's something that, uh, you know, really has to have a lot of buy-in from both parties. 
And I think this may be good going forward uh, in that uh, the Republicans and the Democrats, I think both realize they have to work together to come up with a, a health care plan that will be uh, best for all Americans. And I guess uh, President Trump, I think, has said it, it's dead for this. And I guess it's technically not. I mean, they could still be brought up in the legislative process, but it would require, I guess, really a company coming together with a plan uh, that they could get enough votes for passage. That's that's right. And, um, and you know, this is all part of our checks and balances, really. You know, it's the, things do not come uh, straight from the president. They don't come uh, just from Congress. Uh, there has to be... Uh, they have to work together. And then uh, the courts also have a role as well. So, you know, we have three co-equal branches of government. Uh, things don't always move as quickly as we want them to, but that's because our, our checks and balances work. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about elder law this morning with our guest, Kelly Kyle, a partner in the law firm of Kyle Winn & Associates. Uh, if, if you have a question for us, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show legal terms at mpbonline.org. So, how would you define elder law? Well, uh, Kevin, it's just really that subset of the law that deals with the special needs that older Americans have, and uh, as people age, their uh, needs in a lot of areas change. Their medical needs change. Their legal needs change as well. And as we have uh, medical specialties, we really kind of have legal specialties uh, as well. And we uh, simply say in the field of elder law that just not every attorney is really necessarily equipped to deal with those special needs of our older Americans. And I guess with an aging population, and I think it's a lot of cases where uh, people find themselves possibly caring for their adult parents as they get older, this really becomes a more important issue, I would think. It absolutely does. And I've been in that role myself. Uh, I had to be primarily responsible for my uh, own mother as, as she aged and, and passed away a few years ago. And, you know, it can be incredibly difficult. And there can be some very... Uh, unique situations that can crop up during that whole process, and uh, you really need to go to someone that is equipped and, and educated and familiar with the process and uh, can give you some good assistance in dealing with that. And also, I would think that uh, dealing with old parents especially, it can be very emotional in a family, so it would be good to sort of have an independent third party on hand to kind of guide things along, make sure everything works out properly. You certainly do need to do that. We can uh, you know, find our decision-making skills sort of being, call it clouded, uh, by the emotion of the situation. So it's good to be able to sort of detach yourself from that and go to someone who can give you some uh, you know, impartial advice. Uh, we've got a caller on the line, so why don't we begin by going to Mobile. Al has called in today. Good morning, Al. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Sure, go ahead. Uh, yes, um, I just turned 65 and applied, uh, elected to apply for, uh, to go ahead and receive my Social Security allotment each month, although I am still working. And I understand that that, that does not uh, penalize me in any way with the amount of income that I can create otherwise, although I did understand um, that if I chose to select to receive Medicare B health care, that it would preclude me from participating in the health care that my employer provides. I also realized once the forms were completed and sent back to me that 
unbeknownst to me, I was included in Medicare Part A. And I wanted to know how that would affect all of my insurance through my employer and what I might need to do to correct that if necessary. That's a good question, Al, and uh, I appreciate the call. I have to say that Social Security is not something that we deal with all the time. Yes, we are an elder law firm, but we don't really deal uh, a lot with those issues. Uh, One of the primary areas that we do deal with is Medicare, Medicaid, uh, but I'm not really sure that I'm qualified to answer your questions uh, about your uh, participation in Part B, disqualifying you from your employer's plan and some of those other uh, issues in there. Uh, Professor Gershon, do you have anything to uh, to add to that discussion? Well, you know, one thing that I would say is talk to your employer because it, that may be uh, your employer's plan's decision that they, that they preclude people who are uh, part of Medicaid, Medicare uh, Part B from uh, participating just because that's a cost savings to them. It may not be uh, something from the Social Security Administration at all or from uh, Medicare at all. But, you know, the other thing is I would talk to the Social Security Administration. Social Security Administration. They can they can help you because uh, they will have your account information in front of them and they can uh, help you with your specific case. Yeah, I would go along with that. And, uh, you know, generally there is a Social Security office that you can actually walk right into and and speak to a live person. And as Professor Gershon says, they can pull up your account information with your Social Security number and, and give you uh, pretty clear and concise information that applies directly to you. All right. All right. Very good. Thank you, folks. I appreciate your help. All right. Al, thanks for your call. We've got another caller on the line. So let's go this time to Michelle, who's listening in Meridian today. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. I have two questions. Okay. Um, one is we had a parent who passed away a little over a year ago and was in a nursing home. We used up all her assets until they ran out except her home. And so it's been a year. We've contacted, uh, you know, people in the other state. We don't know if we're going to have to repay the amount that was used for her care, you know, for Medicaid. And how long do they have to tell us how much we might owe? Because we still have her home. We haven't sold it. Okay. Good question, Michelle. Um, This is something that we deal with pretty frequently. Uh, Someone will need nursing home care. excuse me, goes into the nursing home, qualifies for Medicaid, and, of course, when Medicaid pays benefits once a month or uh, for the nursing home or for whatever else that they're paying for, they're keeping track of all of that. And when someone passes away, Medicaid uh, needs to be notified. and uh, Okay. And they will uh, send uh, a request for reimbursement out of any probatable assets. This is part of what they call the estate recovery program, and it's mandated by Congress that the states go back and attempt to recoup as much as is possible uh, from the Medicaid benefits that are paid on someone's behalf. Now, um, is the only asset that remains the home? Michelle? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, In order for you to pass that home from your mother's ownership to you and any surviving other surviving siblings uh, that you have, you're going to have to go through the probate process. And uh, as part of that process, you have to notify any creditors that your mother might have had. That would include everything down from the last uh, utility bills, credit card bills, uh, mortgage, if there is any on the home, 
and you're also going to have to notify Medicaid. And, and we've done all that. We've okay. done the advertisement in the paper. Okay. Everything. We've contacted everything, and we've asked how much do we owe, and we can't get anyone to respond to us. Okay. And how long do they have before they tell us? Well, typically creditors have a period of about 90 days from the date that that newspaper ad first runs in the newspaper uh, right. to file a notice of claim with the Chantry Court there in the county where that probate is proceeding. Right, and no um, one has done that. So okay. Have you passed know, the 90-day period yet? Oh, yeah. She died over a year ago, and we've almost immediately sent out the notification once we okay. had everything. So we just can't get anything from the government, from Medicaid, saying this is what is owed. Okay. There's been no well, letter, no communication. Yeah. The attorney uh, handling your probate needs to contact someone with the attorney general's office. They are the ones that provide legal services to the division of Medicaid. And um, they probably will not be successful in getting any uh, reimbursement. There is a uh, case that came from the Mississippi Court of Appeals a couple of years ago, and it pretty well said that uh, a homestead is uh, an asset that passes free of the claims of creditors, and that does include Medicaid as well. So I think you'll probably be successful in this, but you're, uh, through your attorney, just going to have to pursue the process a little bit more. Okay, and it's a shame you have to get an attorney to just do the right thing. Well, unfortunately, when when you pass away and you have assets in your name, you have to go through that probate process. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that's just the way it is. There are ways of avoiding probate, which we may want to talk about later uh, in the yeah. program. Uh, but that's just kind of the way it is. That's the system that we have. Right. And that was my second question. When my husband and I are doing our estate planning now, how long do you do you is it a five-year period or seven-year period if we transfer some of our assets to our daughter? Well, that's a very good question, too. There is a five-year look-back period, and that means that uh, if you submit an application for Medicaid benefits to take care of you in the nursing home within five years of doing any transfer of those assets, you have to report the transfer of assets. It doesn't mean you're going to be disqualified for five years. You'll be disqualified for a period that's based on the value of the assets transferred. Um, but you're not, it, it, only in the most extreme cases will it be a, a total of five years. Um, I would just tell you, you need to find a competent uh, estate planning elder law attorney to advise you on those issues. All right, Michelle, we appreciate your call. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to continue the program. We're visiting today on In Legal Terms with Kelly Kyle, a partner in the law firm Kyle Wynn & Associates, talking about elder care. If you have a question, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464, or you can email the show, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more of the program after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. In for Sharita Brent this week, I'm Kevin Farrell, joined by Richard Gershon, professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Kelly Kyle. He's a partner in the law firm Kyle Wynn & Associates. We're talking about elder law. So if you have a question for us, you can give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can always email the show legal terms at mpbonline.org. So, Kelly, before the break, we had a call from Michelle uh, talking about probate, and you mentioned that there are some ways that you can avoid probate. There certainly are. Uh, I guess there are a few ways that you can do that, and um, they include in Mississippi joint tenancy with right of survivorship. Uh, most husbands and wives in Mississippi own their homes as uh, joint tenants with right of survivorship. You see that on the deed. Both spouses' names will be listed there, followed by those words, joint tenants with right of survivorship. It means that when one spouse passes away, uh, and it doesn't have to be spouses, it can be any uh, two or more people that own property together that way. When one joint tenant passes away, the other one owns it automatically. It happens uh, with no probate, without anything to be filed at the courthouse. It just happens uh, another way of avoiding probate is simply giving away all your property before you pass away. But we caution people about doing that because, uh, obviously, when you give something away, you completely lose control of it. The person you have given the property to can also give it away. They can sell it. They can put a mortgage on it. And if they can't make the payments, then it winds up in the hands of their creditors. Uh, also, when you give away property, especially property that may have appreciated in value during the time that you've owned it, uh, you may be passing on capital gains taxes to your kids uh, when they ultimately sell the property later on. Um, so those are a couple of ways of avoiding probate. But really the uh, the best way of doing it and one that we recommend in our practice, advocate for most of our clients, is using a uh, an estate plan that's based around something called a revocable living trust. It is uh, an arrangement that... Uh, you and your spouse, if you have one set up during your lifetime, you transfer your property into that revocable trust. You are the trustees of your trust, so you're still in control of all your assets. Do exactly what you want to with those assets. But when you pass away or if you become incapacitated, uh, that's when someone else can step in and take over. Uh, it happens when both spouses obviously are not in the picture any longer, again, due to death or incapacity. And uh, someone you've chosen called your successor trustee is able to step in. Uh, they're able to continue to use the assets for your benefit if you're alive but incapacitated, or if you've passed away, then they can distribute the assets the way uh, that you've said in writing it will be done. And the advantage of that revocable trust is it avoids that probate that Michelle was asking us about a few minutes ago. It also avoids the process that we call a conservatorship that would happen if you became incapacitated during your lifetime and had no plan where uh, someone could take over the management of your assets. And so you you get to name the trustee in that uh, in that document. You certainly do. As I said, uh, our client, the the spouses, are the initial trustees of their trust, but they name their first choice of successor trustee, and then typically they'll name uh, someone to serve if that one can't serve, and maybe even someone to serve if that one can't serve. So we cover all those contingencies. Uh, any kind of general guidelines on, on who the trustee might be? Maybe a, a, a 
close family friend or relative, that sort of thing? For most of our clients, uh, if they have children and if their children are responsible, uh, their children will be their trustee. But like you said, you can go to other options as well, a close family friend, a business associate, uh, a bank, a, a CPA. Uh, other people can serve as successor trustee. But uh, it's the, the primary point is it's who you want to serve. I want to bring uh, Professor Gershon into the conversation. Uh, Professor Gershon, what about uh, estate planning? Why do you think it's important to, to try to plan these things out ahead of time? Well, you know, it's interesting. Michelle um, mentioned that it's too bad you have to bring an attorney in uh, uh, to do uh, certain things, and that's true. But attorneys are much more cost-effective. We are, uh, if, you, if you come to us in the planning stage, we can uh, help you prevent a lot of the problems that cost a lot more, more, a lot more to fix up the road. Uh, and so, you know, it's kind of like um, uh, preventive health care in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, come to us at the beginning stages. We can help you plan things. Somebody like Kelly can help you avoid some of the pitfalls and problems that people run into. When they're in those problems, it costs a lot, much, a lot more to get out of them. That's absolutely right. And that kind of reminds me of a, a plaque that I have on the wall in my office. It's a quote by Red Adair, who was the uh, famous oil field firefighter. And Red uh, said, if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, try hiring an amateur. <laughs> We've got some open phone lines. If you have a elder law question this morning, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Let's stay on this idea of estate planning. So basically what that is, it's what happens to your possessions once that you are gone? Is that pretty much what it is? That's one part of it, Kevin. But really a more important component to estate planning is not what happens when you die, but what happens when you don't die. We tell people it's not just about death planning anymore. There are much greater financial risks to your family and to what you have earned and accumulated during your lifetime if you happen to become incapacitated for a long period of time. Um, We talked about nursing homes, and uh, Michelle said that her mother had been in the nursing home. They had used all of her assets and then qualified her for uh, Medicaid. There are actually ways that you can get people qualified for Medicaid without having to go through all of your assets, Uh, and that's another Uh, area of the law that we work in very frequently. Uh, There's really bad information out there about Medicaid. People uh, hear about that five-year look-back period that she mentioned a minute ago and think that if you've uh, transferred assets within five years, you're disqualified, or they think that uh, you're never going to qualify if you've transferred assets. But uh, we tell people when they come to us and, and seek some good advice that We do these types of plans for people that uh, may be about to go in the nursing home tomorrow or may have already even been there for a while. So what are some objectives for a good estate plan? Well, uh, I think there are four objectives of estate planning. I think, uh, number one, it's to distribute your property to those you want to have it, not leaving it up to the laws of the state of Mississippi to determine in a very uh, inflexible, uh, one size fits all, which I say means one size fits none plan. You want to have say to who will inherit your property, uh, when you're gone. The second objective is to give it to your chosen people at the time you want them to have it. There may be very good reasons that a beneficiary doesn't receive their inheritance all at once. You might want them to receive it over a period of time when they reach certain ages, when they graduate from college or reach a milestone like that but it needs to be done your way. 
The third objective is to do all of this, both put your plan in place and implement it at the least amount of expense possible. And number four, uh, you want to do it in such a way so that you and your spouse can uh, keep control of the process for as long as possible. And again, I mentioned that revocable trust a few minutes ago, and that is really the best vehicle that will allow you to accomplish all of those objectives. And as you mentioned, if if you don't plan ahead, you pretty much do what the law says, and you're saying that that was the one size doesn't fit all kind of thing, and better to plan out something that has your specific needs in mind than kind of you know, take your chances, I guess. Exactly. And, you know, I was saying on my show this morning uh, on WJNT at 8 o'clock, when we do a little planning, we can obviously deal with what life deals us out later. Uh, When you've done a little planning, you're much better to, uh, in a much better position to uh, react when those unfortunate occurrences occur. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, and we've got some open phone lines if you have a question concerning elder law for our guest, Kelly Kyle, who is a partner in the law firm of Kyle Wynn & Associates. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always email the show legalterms at mpbonline.org. So you uh, want to try to have an estate plan. What are some uh, documents uh, that are important when, when creating that plan? Okay, let's go through those. Uh, again, I say there are four important documents that would be a part of every good estate plan. And a good plan is one that will take care of you, take care of your family, and not needlessly waste your assets. The first important document that you need is one that will enable someone to handle your finances in the event you can't do it for yourself. Most people probably think I'm referring to a power of attorney, but uh, I say probably not. You want this to be a document that will actually work, something that you can rely on uh, when the time comes that it's needed. And people don't often realize that there is nothing in the law that says someone absolutely has to honor a power of attorney when it's presented. So for that reason, I don't recommend using a power of attorney uh, for that function. The second document that you need is something to distribute your assets uh, after your death, do it with the least amount of complication and expense and delay. And it should also protect your privacy. For So for those reasons, I don't recommend using a will for that. The third document is something that will uh, enable someone to make health care decisions for you in the event you can't speak up for yourself, not just leaving things up to chance. And in Mississippi, that is not a living will any longer. People may be surprised to hear that. If you're ever admitted to the hospital, what do they ask you in the admissions office? Do you have a living will? We haven't used a living will in Mississippi since 1998. And then the fourth document is one that will ensure that your uh, health care information is available to the person uh, that will be making those decisions for you. And there is a set of uh, very voluminous federal regulations called HIPAA that deals with your medical privacy. And if you haven't specifically given someone, even a family member, written authorization to have access to your medical information, uh, they may find that they're not able uh, to get access to that. It may not be able to get that information to make good medical decisions for you. So, For the documents that you need, remember I said you need something to handle finances, but not a power of attorney, something to to distribute assets, but not a will, Uh, something to handle health care, but not a living will. I've told you what all of these things are not. Again, what we really recommend uh, for a majority of our clients is that document or set of documents 
called the Revocable Trust Estate Plan. And I mentioned the living will not being honored in Mississippi. People may want to argue with me about that. But actually, uh, the living will was replaced by the legislature July 1st of 1998 when it was uh, replaced with something called the Advanced Health Care Directive. So I always recommend if you've had health care do- uh, documents prepared for you in the past, please take a look at them. Make sure that you have the new Advanced Health Care Directive, not the old-fashioned living will. And Kelly, you know, the, the, the whole idea of a living will is always confusing for people anyway because it had nothing to you know, wills have to do with property. And so I'm glad they changed that. And um, I make my students in my wills class do an advanced health care directive because advanced health care directives are not just for elder people. Everyone really needs to have an advanced health care directive because you never know when you might be in a position where you can't speak for yourself. That's a great uh, point, Professor Gershon, and especially for, uh, you know, people that are in school. Uh, Parents seem to think that if their child who's away at Ole Miss or State or Southern or wherever uh, has an accident or an illness and becomes hospitalized, that they'll just immediately be able to step in and get that child's medical information and make their decisions for them. But if you haven't done the planning, if you don't have the document in place, you may find out that that is, in fact, not the case. When that child turns 18, uh, in the eyes of the law, in a lot of respects, they are adults. And that means that HIPAA and those medical privacy rights apply to them. So if you have children that are away at school, you really should consider uh, having those kids execute an advanced health care directive. We need to take another quick break. When we get back, we're going to continue our discussion. We're visiting today with our guest, Kelly Kyle. He's a partner in the law firm Kyle Wynn and Associates, talking about elder care. So if you have a question, we've got some open phone lines. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be back with more of the show after this short break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Good morning, I'm Kevin Farrell, sitting in this week for Sharita Brent, joined today by Richard Gershon, professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law, and our guest, Kelly Kyle, a partner in the law firm of Kyle Wynn & Associates. We're talking about elder law this morning, so if you have a question, you can give us a call. We have some open phone lines at 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is one 672 7464. You can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Back to the phone lines we go. We start again in Starkville as we say good morning to Curly. Hello, Curly. Go ahead, please. Hi, this is C.T. Curly. My wife and I are both 84, and we just sold a home that we built some 40 years ago. 
and I've got this money sitting in the bank, and I can't decide whether to put it into CDs or buy stock or what. What? What's your counsel on uh, the best investment route for, you know, $250,000 or so uh, uh, since we're both 84? Well, um, I will just say initially I do not offer investment advice. Um, that's not my area of expertise. There are lots of good people out there that do that. I prefer to leave that specifically to them. But let's address a couple of issues uh, that you've just brought up and what you've told me. You're both 84, as I understand it. Uh, I hope you're both in good health. Um, By selling that home, uh, what you have, have done as it relates to Medicaid planning, and this may never enter into the equation unless either or both of you need nursing home care in the future. Mm-hmm. But by selling the house, you have just converted what was a formerly uncountable asset under the Medicaid rules. Uh, the home is uncountable. Mm-hmm. You have converted that to entirely countable cash assets. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if, uh, let's say, one spouse had to go to the nursing home, that spouse in the nursing home would be able to have $4,000 in his or her name and still qualify for Medicaid benefits. The other spouse could have up to about $120,000 in their name and qualify the other spouse for Medicaid benefits. So just based on what you've told me there, uh, if we assumed that the the cash was your only uh, asset that we had to deal with, you're uh, over-resourced, to use Medicaid's term, about $125,000. And before uh, the nursing home spouse would qualify for Medicaid benefits, you would have to spend that $125,000 down. Now, if both of you had to go to the nursing home, the situation becomes a lot more dire. And um, in that case, both of you would be able to have only $4,000 in your name. So you'd have to spend down about $240,000 before you would qualify for Medicaid. Um, If you transferred that money to uh, a child or someone, uh, you would be disqualified from Medicaid benefits for a period of time, but if you engage the service of uh, a competent elder law attorney, one that's uh, you know com- uh, competent and conversant in uh, Medicaid issues, you probably would be able to save about half of that money. Uh, probably about a hundred twenty thousand, or maybe even more, would be able to pass on to your kids and still get you qualified for Medicaid. And that could be accomplished. And, you know, I'm just saying that as an example, but that could be accomplished playing entirely by Medicaid's own rules, doing uh, nothing that's illegal or immoral or even in any kind of a gray area. Those are the rules of the program and we play by them. So I hope that's given you a little bit of information there. Again, I'm not going to tell you how to invest it. Uh, Certainly you don't make much with CDs. Uh, You might make more by putting it in the stock market, but, of course, that comes with some risk. Those are just questions that you need to talk with, uh, you know, someone that uh, you trust in the investment game. Uh, But uh, let me just suggest you might want to do a little estate planning, Curly, if you haven't done that already. All right, Curly, we appreciate your call. Let's move on. We've got next on the line Turner from Jackson. Good morning, Turner. Go ahead, please. Those are just questions that you need to talk Okay, I need to turn the radio down and talk to us through your phone, please. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, I have a question about uh, a will. Uh, My father had a will uh, 
back in 2009. Uh, someone else is, is uh, the executor. I'm not. Uh, and that will hasn't been probated. Uh, and I just wanted to know what are the repercussions from not probating the wheel uh, that's been in existence since 2009. Okay. Uh, um, there are no real penalties or anything that go along with not probating the will. And I guess the threshold question we have to determine here is whether that will needs to be probated in the first place. If you pass away and don't own any probatable property, uh, for lack of a better term, then the will doesn't have to go through probate. But things that do have to go through probate include any type of real estate and bank accounts that has only the decedent, the person that's passed away, their name on it. Uh, those are just a couple of examples. Um, but as I said, there are really no penalties for not probating the will uh, in a timely manner, but if you don't probate the will and if your father owned any real estate, then uh, you may be a beneficiary of that will, but you don't own that property. The estate continues to own the property until the will is probated and until an order is entered by the Chantry Court judge that says who actually uh, are his heirs and in what proportion uh, people are to receive that property. So, you know, I guess one uh, drawback to not probating it is that property is just kind of out there in limbo and nobody has the ability to deal with it. Nobody really owns it other than the estate. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your call. Uh, let's take one final break this hour, and when we return, we'll continue visiting with Kelly Kyle, partner of the law firm of Kyle Wynn & Associates. Uh, we're talking today about elder law. So give us a call if you have a question. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. I'm Kevin Farrell sitting in for Sharita Brent this week, and I'm joined by Richard Gershon, professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our guest today, Kelly Kyle, a partner in the law firm Kyle Wynn & Associates. We've been talking about elder law throughout the hour, and Kelly, it's you know it's an important topic, as we mentioned, an aging society, a lot of folks involved in, in caring for their, their parents as they get older. Uh, and to learn more about what elder law is, uh, you have a number of uh, seminars set up throughout the state. If you could give us the information on that. That's right. We do seminars really all over the state of Mississippi and even in some parts of Louisiana as well. And we have some that are coming up next week on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. They will run uh, between Tuesday the 4th 
uh, and Saturday of next week, and we're going to be in Gulfport, Ocean Springs, Diamond Head, and Pascagoula during the week, and then on Saturday, we'll be back in Gulfport for a 10 a.m. seminar. We know some people can't uh, get out during the week because they have to work, so we do that Saturday 10 a.m. seminar for them. Uh, and all of that information on our seminars is available on our website. We are at kyle-win, that's K-Y-L-E-W-Y-N-N dot com. Or you can just call us. Uh, our 800 number is 1-800-524-4694. And uh, the seminars are absolutely free, again, along the coast next week and other areas of the state from time to time. Uh, absolutely free, but we'd love to see you there. You get a lot of information in the presentation that lasts about an hour. We also send you home with uh, a packet full of information on the things that we talk about. And then uh, in the week or two following the seminar, we give you the opportunity to come into uh, one of our offices around the state uh, and actually have a free consultation with one of our attorneys. So that's something pretty valuable that we offer, and uh, a lot of people like to take advantage of it. We will typically see around a 1,000 people during the course of a year mm-hmm. uh, in our seminars that we host around the state. So I'll be doing some of them. My law partner, Elizabeth Wynn, will be doing some of them uh, as well. Uh, but we would love to see you if you're down on the Gulf Coast and would like to attend one of our free estate planning seminars next week. All right, very good. Back to the phone lines we go. We start again in Jackson. John has called in today. Good morning, John. You're on the air. Good morning. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I, I had a question that pertained to um, what the legal recourse or remedy is if, let's say, you have an executor who is not performing his or her primary duties to help administer the estate. So whether it's property that, you know, it's home, real property that hasn't been sold, what is your, if you're just a beneficiary, what, like, legal recourse do you have um, to maybe encourage him to actually do those duties? Well, unfortunately, you may not have much uh, recourse other than getting your own attorney and get them involved in the situation. You realize that the probate process is open and transparent. That means that uh, all of the documents that are filed in it are available uh, by simply going to the Chantry clerk's office in the county where that probate is proceeding and asking to view the file. And they have to give it to you. They can't uh, restrict it from you. And that's not just because you're a beneficiary. Any person off the street really can come in and take a look at those probate documents. Um, And in a lot of cases, I think now 21 out of 82 counties you don't even have to go to the courthouse to review those documents. You can probably take a look at them online. So you need to have someone that's familiar with the probate process, review the documents, see what's going on. Um, and, you know, if there's anything untoward going on, uh, they can enter an appearance on your behalf and file an objection to what's going on. Um, it may be somewhat costly. Uh, but again, as Professor Gershon said, you know, if you come to a lawyer uh, at the outset of a problem, it's generally easier to fix and less expensive to fix than if you let things go on uh, and get unnecessarily complicated. So uh, like I said, I think I would recommend that you have someone uh, take a look at the process and see if, if there's anything that needs to be addressed. All right, uh, John, we appreciate your call. Let's move on next. We've got uh, Lisa on the line from Past Christian. Good morning, Lisa. 
Hey, I've got a quick question. This is regarding uh, estate recovery. For those elders that keep their home, go into a nursing home and get Medicaid and die owning their home, how is the state of Mississippi handling MERP? And is there an outside contractor like HMS handling it? Or kind of what is the path that happens with estate recovery for Mississippi? Okay. We kind of touched on that uh, a little bit in an earlier segment of the show, but uh, as we said, when someone that has been receiving Medicaid benefits dies, uh, Medicaid is obligated uh, under state and federal law to attempt to recoup as much of the benefits that have been paid out as is possible. And they have to be notified of the person's death. They're probably already aware of it, but there's not really an outside agency that's involved. Uh, it's the attorneys in the attorney general's office that represent the division of Medicaid. Okay, so Mississippi, unlike like Texas, has HMS. HMS like thirty, almost thirty states now. So Mississippi is still doing all theirs in-house. That's correct. How do you try to buy a property that has an estate recovery? I don't know if it's in the state that's a claim or a lien, but whichever on it. Well, how, how does an outsider deal with this? We have a piece of property across the street from us okay. that belonged to a woman. She has been dead now three years. It has gone from bad to worse with the property. The power has been pulled. Dogs have been removed. Crap is all over. Okay. Uh, that property is going to have to go through the probate process, and it's really incumbent upon her heirs to do that. Um, now, you know, I suppose if the property taxes go unpaid for a period of time, you might be able to uh, buy it for the unpaid taxes. But I think Medicaid's lien is probably going to uh, come uh, with greater priority than yours. So I'm not sure that I would recommend that. But the family may just be uh, avoiding what they see as an unpleasant process and that they just simply don't want to deal with. Uh, as I said, though, there is a, a fairly recent case out of the Court of Appeals that says that the family can get that uh, homestead property, if it was homestead, free and clear of Medicaid's liens, but they do have to go through the probate process to do it. And that typically takes time and it takes money. And uh, I don't know, the, the family may not have the uh, ability to go through the process. But if you're simply an outsider wanting to purchase property that's the subject of a state recovery, I don't really think there's a way you can do that uh, until it has gone through these channels. All right, Lisa, thanks for your call. I've uh, got just a couple of minutes left. Maybe we could spend a little time on uh, long-term care. So uh, is this something that someone could possibly uh, purchase for themselves, or is it usually something that they're purchasing for, for a loved one? It's typically something that you're going to get for yourself. Kevin, and uh, I'm a big fan of long-term care insurance. I make a blanket recommendation to all the people that we speak to in our seminars. In uh, any opportunity that I get to address a group, I tell them to look at getting long-term care insurance. There are really only three ways that nursing home costs get paid in Mississippi. Long-term care benefits for those that get the coverage. Uh, that's one of those ways. The other way is private payment, where you or someone on your behalf is going to write a check for probably six to $8,000 per month for one person to stay in the nursing home. Uh, but I tell people, if you have unlimited funds, don't worry about it. Just hope the funds hold out long enough, uh, you know, to, to see you through the remainder of your life. I say that sort of in jest. 
but you have long-term care, you have the private payment, but then the third way that nursing homes get paid for is Medicaid. And again, uh, we try to dispel some of the fallacies that are out there about Medicaid. People think that uh, you have to be absolutely flat broke before you can qualify for it. But I mentioned uh, previously in, in Curly's call that uh, between a husband and wife, if only one needs to go to the nursing home, you can have about $124,000 in cash in your name and still qualify. And in addition to that, you can have your home, you can have an IRA, you can have a couple of vehicles. So there's quite a lot of assets that a couple can have and still qualify one uh, for Medicaid benefits. So, um, you know, Medicaid is not just for the, the poor and downtrodden. It's available to practically anyone if you do a little planning. And as we head out, the bottom line, as we mentioned earlier, you know, don't don't put this off. This is important things to do. You never know when you might need uh, some of these things. So uh, go ahead and the sooner you start planning, I think, the better. That's right. I say it's never too early to plan your estate, but it certainly can be too late. Thanks for listening to In Legal Terms, and thanks to uh, Richard Gershon, professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law, for always joining us. And also thanks to our guest, Kelly Kyle, a partner in the law firm of Kyle, Wynn & Associates. This is MPB Think Radio. We'll be back next, what, Tuesday with another In Legal Terms right here. Thanks for listening.